Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. All right, Peyton got stung by a bee today, and we have a magic trifecta of a cure. We found out that Peyton does have a little bit of an allergy. She's been stung too many times because she's a beekeeper. And sometimes if you keep getting stung, you'll get more of a reaction, so that's what's happening. She's okay, nothing bad, but she's pretty. her hand's pretty swollen, so she's just so sad that she can't go to school tomorrow. <laughs> so, but for anybody that has a reaction to like a spider bite Your or a POV, bug, it's tomorrow's birthday and everybody gets a cake. Ah, boo. But uh, we did peppermint oil on the spot. Well, first we did um, plantain and yarrow powder and we mixed that with manuka honey and we have that in our um, first aid box and we put that on it to try and draw any of the venom, but it was kind of too late because it had been a few hours. Then we, when to, before she went to bed, we put just peppermint essential oil on it. And um, then we have like a soft, um, what is that? Like a freezer pack that like is bent, you know, like the squishy yes. ones. And we wrapped it in a towel and we wrapped that around her hand. And then we wrapped it with a scrunchie so it's holding it tight on it. And she had one Benadryl. And so she said she doesn't feel anything anymore. And she was like, it was itching her and driving her crazy. So... That has seemed to help. And I said, how is it? And she's like, I can't feel it. I don't know. It's not really helping. I'm like, no, that's good. You can't feel it. That's great. You can't feel it. It's like numbed it. So it doesn't itch like crazy. So there it is. If you guys need some help, there you go. Okay. We have to read two chapters in the evening. Um, two chapters in the evening and two chapters in the morning if we want to finish this by the time you go to your dad. So okay. don't fall asleep. I know. Yeah, right. She had a bit of a girl. She's going to miss the second chapter. All right. A series of unfortunate events. Oh, she's already up. By Lemony Snicket, the th- book the 13th, The End. Chapter 2. It is useless for me to describe how to you how terrified. Oh, how terrible. Just the first sentence and then I got. And then she's, "Oh my god, you're me." Okay, hold on. We're starting over cuz I can't even Hold on. You know, I just can't even read the book with knowing until like when I can stop okay good 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 good. okay starting over chapter two it is useless for me to describe to you how terrible Violet Klaus and even Sunny felt in the hours that followed most people who have survived a storm at sea are so shaken by the experience that they never want to speak of it again and so if a writer wishes to describe a storm at sea his only method of research is to stand on a large wooden boat with a notebook and a pen and ready to take notes should such a storm suddenly strike. But I have already stood on a large wooden boat with a notebook and a pen, ready to take notes, and should a storm suddenly strike, and by the time the storm should clear, I was so shaken by the experience that I never wanted to speak of it again. So it's useless for me to describe the force of the wind that tore through the sails as if it were paper and sent the boat spinning like an ice skater showing off. 
it is impossible for me to convey the volume of rain that fell, drenching the Baudelaire's in freezing water so that their concierge uniforms clung to them like an extra layer of soaked icy skin. It is futile, 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 to, for me to portray the streaks of lightning that clattered down from the swirling clouds, striking the mass, mass of the boat and sending them and sending it toppling into the churning sea, it is inadequate for me to report the deafening thunder that rang in the Baudelaire's ears as it, and its superfluous, oh my gosh, these words, for me to recommend, oh, for me to recount how the boat began to tilt back and forth, sending all of its contents tumbling into the ocean. First, the jar of beans hitting the surface of the water with a loud glop. Then the spatula, the lightning reflecting off of the mirrored surfaces as they disappeared into the swirling tides. And lastly, the sheets that Violet had taken from the hotel laundry room and fashioned into a drag chute so that the boat would survive its drop from the rooftop sunbathing salon. Billowing in the stormy air like jellyfish right before the sinking into the sea before sinking into the sea. It is worthless for me to specify the increasing size of the waves rising out of the water, first like live shark fins, and then like tents, and then like glaciers, their icy peaks climbing higher and higher until they finally came crashing down on the soaked and crippled boat with the unhealthy roar, like the laughter of some terrible beasts. It is bootless for me to render an account of the Baudelaire orphans clinging to one another in fear and desperation, certain that any moment they would be dragged away and tossed to their watery graves while Count Olaf clung to the harpoon gun and the wooden figurehead as if a terrible weapon had a deadly fungus where only the things he loved in the world and if no earthy, no earthly use to provide the report on the front of the figurehead detached from the boat deafening crackle, sending the Baudelaire spinning in one direction and Olaf spinning in the other, or the sudden jolt that the rest of the boat abruptly stopped spinning and a horrible scraping sound came from beneath the shuddering wood of the floor of the craft as, a gig as if a gigantic hand were grabbing the remains of Count Olaf from below and holding on the, the trembling siblings in its strong and steady grip. Certainly, the Baudelaire's did not find it necessary to wonder what happened now after all of those terrible, whirling hours in the heart of the storm, but simply crawled together to a far corner of the boat and huddled against one another, too stunned to cry as they listened to the sea rage around them and heard the frantic cries of Count Olaf, wondering if he were being torn from limb, torn limb, limb from limb by the furious storm, or if he too had found some strange safety in not knowing which fate they had wished upon the man had flung him so much misfortune on the, on the three of them. There is no need for me to describe this storm, as it would only be another layer of this unfortunate onion of a story. In, in any case, this by the time that the sun rose the next morning, the swirling black clouds were already scurrying away from the bedraggled Baudelaire's, and the air was silent and still, as if the whole evening had only been one ghastly nightmare. The children stood up unsteadily to their in their piece of the boat, their limbs aching from clinging to one another all night and trying to figure out where in the world they were and how in the world they had survived. But as they gazed around their surroundings, they could not answer these questions as they had never seen anything in the world like the sight that awaited them. At first, it appeared that the Baudelaire orphans were still in the middle of the ocean, as all the children could see was a flat and wet landscape stretching out in all directions, fading into the gray morning mist. But as they peered over the side of the ruined boat, 
The children saw that the water was not much deeper than a puddle, and this enormous puddle was littered with detritus, with detritus, okay? A word here that means all sorts of strange things. There were large pieces of wood sticking out of the water like jagged teeth, and long lengths of rope tangled into the damp and complicated knots. There were great heaps of seaweed and thousands of fish wrangling and gapping, wiggling and gaping in the sun as seabirds swooped down from the misty sky and helped them helped themselves to a seafood breakfast they, there were what looked like pieces of their of other boats and anchors and portholes railings and masts scattered every which way like toy broken toys and other objects that might have been found from the boat's cargo including shattered lanterns smashed barrels soaked documents and the ripped remains of all sorts of clothing from the top hat rollers to, to top hats to roller skates there was an old-fashioned typewriter leaning against a large ordnance birdcage with a family of guppies wiggling and wiggling through its keys there was a large brass cannon with a large cra- a large crab cr- clawing its way out of the barrel and was hopelessly torn net its hopelessly torn net caught in the blades of the propeller it was as if the storm had swept away the entire sea leaving all of its contents scattered on the ocean floor was this the was it this place violet said with a hushed whisper what happened klaus looked at his took his glasses out of his pocket where he had put them for safekeeping and was relieved to see that they were unharmed i think that we're on a coastal shelf he said there are places in the sea where the water is suddenly very shallow near the land. Oh, that's also called like a um, a sandbar. The storm must have thrown our boat onto the shelf along this, along with all the other wreckage. Land? Sunny asked, holding out her tiny hand over her eyes as so she might see further. Don't see. Klaus stepped carefully over the side of the boat. The dark water only came up to his knees and he began to walk around the boat in careful strides. Coastal shelves are very much smaller than this. Are, wait, coastal shelves are usually much smaller than this, he said, but there must be an island somewhere close by. Let's look for it. Violet followed her brother out of the boat, carrying their sister, who was still quite short. Which direction do you think that we should go, he asked. We don't want to get lost. Sunny gave her siblings a small smile. Already lost, she pointed out. Sunny's right, Klaus said. Even if we had a compass, we don't know where we are or where we're going. We may as well be... We may as well head in any direction at all. Well, then, I hope I vote we head west, Violet said, pointing in the opposite direction of the rising sun. If we're going to be walking for a while, I don't want the sun in our eyes. Unless we find the concierge sunglasses, Klaus said. The storm blew them away, but they might have landed somewhere on this shelf. But we could find anything we, we could find anything here, Violet said, and the Baudelaire's had walked only a few steps before they saw what was so, for floating in the water was a piece of the of Deatrice that they which wished had blown away from them forever floating in the particularly filthy part of the water stretched out a flat on his back with his harpoon gun leaned across his shoulder was count olaf the villain's eyes were closed underneath his one eyebrow and he did not move in all the miserable times with count the baudelaires had never seen olaf look so calm I guess we don't need to throw him overboard, Violet said. The storm did it for us. Klaus leaned down to peer closer to Olaf, but the villain did not stir. It must have been terrible, he said, to try and ride out that storm without any kind of shelter whatsoever. Kabucket, Sonny asked, but at that moment Count Olaf's eyes opened and the youngest Baudelaire's question was answered. Frowning Frowning, the villain's eyes moved in one direction and then the other.
Where am I? He, I, he muttered, spitting a piece of seaweed out of his mouth. Where's my figurehead? Coastal shelf, Sonny replied. At the sound of Sonny's voice, Count Olaf blinked and sat up, glaring at the children and shaking water out of his ears. Get me, out, get me some coffee, orphans, he ordered. I had a very unpleasant evening, and I'd like, I'd like a nice and hearty breakfast before deciding what to do with you. There's no coffee here, Violet said, although there was, in fact, an espresso machine about 20 feet away. We're walking west in the hopes of finding an island. You'll walk where I tell you to walk, Olaf growled. Are you forgetting that I'm the captain of this boat? The boat is stuck in the sand, Klaus said. It's quite damaged. Well, you're still my hench people, said the villain, and my others, my orders are that we walk west in hopes of finding an island. I've heard about islands in the distant parts of the sea. The primitive inhabitants have never been civilized people, so they probably will revere me as a god. The Baudelaire's looked at one another and sighed. Revere is a word here which means praise highly and have a great deal of respect for, and there was no person that the children revered less than the dreadful man who was standing before them, picking his teeth with with a bit of a seashell and referring to people who lived in a certain region of the world as primitive. Yet, it seemed that no matter where the Baudelaire's traveled, there would be people either so greedy that they respected and praised Olaf for his evil ways, or so foolish that they didn't notice how dreadful he really was. It was enough to make the children want to abandon Olaf there on the coastal shelf, but it's different. It is difficult to abandon someone in a place where everything is already abandoned. And so the three orphans and the one villain trudged together westward across the cluttered coastal shelf in silence, wondering what was in store for them. Count Olaf was Count Olaf led the way, balancing the harpoon gun on one shoulder and interrupting the silence every so often to demand coffee, fresh juice, and other equally unobtainable breakfast items. Violet walked behind him, using the broken banister as she found uh, she found as a walking stick and poking at interesting mechanical scraps she found in the muck, and Klaus walked alongside his sister, jotting the occasional notes in his commonplace book. Sunny climbed on top of Violet's shoulders to serve as sort of a lookout, and it was it was the youngest Baudelaire who broke the silence with a triumphant cry. Land ho! she cried, pointing to the mist at the three and the three siblings could see the faint shape of the shape of an island rising out of the shelf. The island looked narrow and long, like a freight like a freight train, and if they squinted they could see clusters of trees, what looked like an enormous sheet of white cloth billowing in the wind. I've discovered an island, Count Olaf cackled. I'm going to name it Olaf Land. He didn't discover an island, Violets pointed out. It appears that people already live on it. And I am am their king, Count Olaf proclaimed. Hurry up, orphans. My royal subjects are going to cook me a big breakfast. And if I'm in a good mood, I might let you lick the plates. The Baudelaire's had no intention of licking the plates of of Olaf or anyone else, but nevertheless they continued walking towards the island, maneuvering around the wreckage that still littered the surface of the shelf. They had just walked around their grand piano, which was sticking straight out of the water as if it had fallen from the sky. When something caught the Baudelaire's eyes, a tiny white figure scurrying, uh, a tiny white figure scurrying toward them. What? Sonny said. Who? It might be another survivor of the storm, Klaus said. Our boat didn't have anyone on this area. Our boat couldn't have been the only one in the area of the ocean. Do you think that the storm reached Kit Snicket, Violet asked? Or the triplets, Sunny said. 
Count Olaf scowled and put the muddy finger on the trigger of the harpoon gun. If that's Kit Snicket some, or some bratty orphan, he said, I'll harpoon her right where she stands. No ridiculous volunteer is going to take my island away from me. You don't want to waste your last harpoon, Violet said, thinking quickly. Who knows where you're going to find another one? That's true, Olaf admitted. You're being an excellent henchwoman. Poppycock, growled Sunny, baring her teeth at the count. My sister's right, Klaus said. It's ridiculous to argue with volunteers and, and hinge people when we're standing on a coastal shelf in the middle of the ocean. Don't be so sure, orphans, Olaf replied. No matter where we are, there's always room if for someone like me. He leaned down to, cl to close... He leaned down close to Klaus to give him a sneaky smile, as if he were telling a joke. Haven't you learned by now? It was an unpleasant question, but the Baudelaire's did not have time to answer it. As the figure drew closer and closer until the children could see, it was a young girl, perhaps six or seven years old. She was barefoot and dressed in a simple white robe that was so clean she could not have been in a storm. Hanging from the girl's belt was a large white seashell, and she was wearing a pair of sunglasses that looked very much like the Baudelaire's had worn at the con as concierges. She was grinning from ear to ear, but when she reached the Baudelaire's, panting from her long run, she suddenly looked shy, and although the Baudelaire's were quite curious to see who she was, they also found themselves keeping silent. Even Olaf didn't speak, and merely admired his reflection in the water. When you find yourself tongue-tied in front of somebody that you do not know, you might want to remember something that the Baudelaire's mother told them long ago, and something she told me even longer ago. I can see her now sitting on a small couch that she used to keep in the corner of the bedroom, adjusting the straps of her sandals with one hand and munching on an apple with the other, telling me not to worry about the, that the party was being down, held downstairs. People love to talk to the, about themselves, Mr. Snicket, she said to me between bites of an apple. If you find yourself wondering what to say to any of the guests, ask them which secret code they prefer or find whom they've been spying on lately. Violet, too, could almost hear her mother's voice as she gazed down at the young girl and decided to ask her something about herself. What's your name? Violet asked. The girl fiddled with her shell and then looked up to the eldest Baudelaire. Friday, she said. Do you live on the island, Friday? Violet asked. Yes, the girl said. I got up early this morning to go st storm scavenging. Storm scavenger? Sunny said from Violet's shoulders. Every time that there's a storm, everyone in the colony gathers everything that's collected on the coastal shelf, she, Friday said. One never knows what one, one of these items will, when one of these items will come in handy. Are you castaways? I guess we are, Violet said. We were traveling by boat and then we got caught in the storm. I'm Violet Baudelaire and this is my brother Klaus and my sister Sunny. She turned reluctantly to Olaf, who was glaring at Friday suspiciously. And this... I am your king, Olaf announced in a grand voice. Bow before me, Friday. Um, no thank you, Violet, Friday said politely. Our colony is not a monarchy. You must be exhausted from the storm, Baudelaire's. It looks so enormous from the shore that we didn't think that there'd be any castaways this time. Why didn't, why don't you come with me? We can get you something to eat. We would be most grateful, Klaus said. Do castaways arrive on this island often? From time to time, Friday said with a small shrug. It seems that everything eventually washes up on our shores. The shores of Olaf land, you mean? Count Olaf growled. I discovered the island, so I get to name it. Friday peered at Olaf, curiously from behind her sunglasses. You must be confused, sir. After, after your journey through the storm, she said, people have lived on this island for many, many years. Primitive people. 
sneered the villain. I don't see any houses on the island. Well, we live in tents, Friday said, pointing to the billowing white cloths on the island. We grew tired of building houses that would only be blown away during the stormy season, and the rest of time the weather is so hot that we appreciate the ventilation with the tent that the tent provides. Still, I say you're primitive, Olaf insisted, and I don't want to listen to primitive people. Well, I won't force you to, Friday said. Come along with me and you can decide for yourself. I'm not going to come along with you, Olaf said, and neither are my hench people. I'm Count Olaf and I'm in charge around here, not some little idiot in a robe. There's no reason to be insulting, Friday said. The island is the only place you can go, Count Olaf, so it doesn't really matter who's in charge. Oh, Count Olaf gave Friday a terrible scowl, and then he pointed his harpoon gun straight at the young girl. If you don't bow before me, Friday, I'll fire this harpoon gun right at you. The Baudelaire's gasped, but Friday merely frowned at the villain. In a few minutes, she said, all of the inhabitants of the island will be out storm scavenging. They'll see any if they'll see any act of violence you commit, and you won't be allowed on the island. Please point that weapon away from me. Count Olaf opened his mouth as if to say something, but after a moment he shut it again and lowered the harpoon gun sheepishly, a word here which means looking quite embarrassed, but to be following orders from a little girl. Young Baudelaire's, please come with me, Friday said, and began to lead the way towards the island, towards the distant island. What about me? Count Olaf asked. His voice was a little squeaky, and it reminded the Baudelaire's of a voice that he had heard from people who were frightened of Olaf himself. They had heard this voice from the guardians of theirs, from Mr. Poe, from the villain who, would co- who had confronted him. It was a tone of voice that they had heard from various volunteers when discovering Olaf's activities, and even from the henchmen when they complained about their wicked boss. It was a tone of voice that the Baudelaire's had heard from themselves during the countless times that the dreadful man had threatened them and promised to get his hands on their fortune, but the children never thought that they would hear from Count Olaf himself. What about me? he asked again, but the siblings had already followed Friday in a a short way from where he was standing, and when the Baudelaire orphans turned to him, Olaf Olaf looked like just another piece of detritus, detritus? that the storm had blown into the coastal shelf. Go away, Friday said firmly, and the castaways wondered if wondered if finally they had found a place where there was no room for Count Olaf. Heck yeah. yeah.